Well, I'll say it again. Happy Mother's Day. Glad I could be here uh, on Mother's Day and uh, give Anthony a little bit of rest today. Um, although I would think that his wife is the one that deserves the rest, but that's something for them to sort to sort through. This has been a week of big holidays. Uh, on Thursday, big day, 5th of May, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Ascension Day. Jesus went back up into heaven. That's uh, 40 days after Easter. For some reason on my Instagram account, everybody's wearing sombreros for Ascension Day. I don't know what that was all about. But Jesus went up. The Spirit came down. We're marked with the Spirit. Uh, that's what enables us to live, live for Christ, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So Ascension Day, huge, uh, huge day in our faith. Well, it, back to Mother's Day. My mom, in 2007, she was diagnosed with, with breast cancer for a second time. And the prognosis wasn't great. The doctors, you know, only gave her uh, a little bit of, little bit of time to, to live. And so one of her doctors uh, clued her into an experimental study that was being done. And since she had nothing to lose, she decided to try this, this drug that they were, that the FDA was, uh, was doing trials for. And so in this first trial, of the 54 women that took this, this drug for breast cancer, uh, only one survived. That was my mom. So she's, she's a miracle. And I just say that because that, that time, and she still, you know, still has the, the breast cancer, still keeping it, at, uh, keeping it under control, uh, but it's just made me and my family thankful for every moment. Uh, what God has done in our family, the, the way that through this he's refined my mom's faith and refined all of our faith because of the, the circumstance of her life. And it, it's just, it's a time of great thankfulness. So I say that on Mother's Day, if, if, you, if your mom is still here, then appreciate her. Or maybe in your life you need to forgive her for something. Or maybe you need to look to her and you need to repent of something. Uh, every day that you get is another opportunity to, to make sure that, that those relationships are where they need to go. And if your mom is not here, uh, I'm really sorry about that. But you still have the opportunity to be blessed by who she was in your life. God gave you that particular mom to make you who you are right now. Uh, and your, your faith is, has been crafted through the circumstances of your life. That's one of the things God uses. You're, you're created unique. You're given unique circumstance so that when you're in Christ, you can then minister uh, in a unique way. So with that said, I want to look at a mother who, uh, who had a... a, a very memorable circumstance. Uh, we just read about her from Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to go back up to the top of that passage. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the, the first verse again. And I want to go through and I want to look at uh, the idea of, of bringing life. Because that, I mean, that's what motherhood is all about. That's the, that is the amazing miracle of being a mom. Is you, you get to partner with God in this, this way that brings life into the world. There's nothing else like it. And so 
What can we learn about that from this passage? So Luke chapter 7, verse 11 says this. Soon afterward, so Jesus had just, uh, just healed uh, a centurion's servant, and the, and the centurion had sent Jesus away, and, and he had just, he just affirmed that he had found no greater faith anywhere than, than this man displayed uh, as he asked in, for Jesus' help in healing his servant. So after this, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now here's the thing about this first verse is Jesus has no reason to go to Nain. Nain is not a big town. It's barely a speck uh, on the map. It's not on the way to anything. And it's, it's just kind of an out of, out of the way place. So he, he has no reason to head there, except that he is very intentional about his ministry. You see, when we're feeling uh, insignificant, when we feel unnoticed, here's something that we can take to the bank. That, that, that Jesus knows every detail about our lives. He knows the circumstance. He's know, he knows what we're going through. And so Jesus heads, heads to Nain. In fact, he brings the crowd with him. Now, I love this because this is, this is a great example for me in my own life. Jesus is not at the mercy of the crowd, right? Crowds kind of have lives of their own, right? And I'm sure these people following Jesus had expectations of him and probably had directions they wanted to, to, to point him in. But instead, Jesus says, we're going to Nain, and I don't know if there was grumbling and complaining and why Nain or why not where I want you to go. But Jesus was not concerned with the approval of the crowd. Jesus did uh, the will of his father who sent him. And in this particular moment, the will of the father was to go and to be part of the life of this woman who had just lost, uh, just lost her son. I know for me, I'm, I am totally pulled w with the crowd. I, I, that, is, that is my core struggle, which I've told you and shared with you before when, when I've been over here, is as I'm a people pleaser. Right? I want people to be happy with me. And so my temptation, the, one, the thing that I have to fight, is to, to, to be a slave to that, to be pulled by that, and to remind myself that it's my job to do the will of the one who lives in me, Jesus so as Jesus is walking to Nain, this is, this is his grace put on display, right? He, he's, he sees this, this woman that we're about to meet. He knows her. And in a culture that did not value womanhood, okay, put it on another level, Jesus is, is affirming the, the, the humanity of this woman. Jesus loves her despite the circumstances of her, of her life. Maybe you're like me. A lot of times I use the lens of my circumstance to evaluate my relationship with Jesus. Right? If things are going good, you know, the car hasn't broke down, uh, I'm employed, uh, things are going great, I, I get a real sense me and Jesus are pretty tight. You know, things are going all right. I must be doing things well because, because my, my life circumstances are going well. But then the moment that there, I get a flat tire or somebody cuts me off in traffic, just to name how small of a thing it takes for, for me to, to interpret the circumstances of my life as bad, 
Okay, or, or not working, or my daughter's sick and I'm kept from doing something else, then begin to question, Jesus, what did I do? Am I, am, am I in the wrong here? Are we close? Are you punishing me? What, what's going on? Our circumstances sometimes form the lens of, of how we see Jesus. And I think that's one of the things that, that Jesus is showing the crowd here as he's on his way to Nain is that it's not about your circumstance. His love is independent. His understanding of your life is independent of, of what, you, what you are going through. And so Jesus is active on your behalf all the time, every day, no matter what is, is going on. And you can think about it, if he is present, I mean, he's walking around in, in, in bodily form, so Jesus can only be one place at a time during, during, the, during this little, little bit of his life. If he is there and present for this woman, if his timing is perfect to, to be part of the building of her faith, then, then how much more so now that he sent his spirit? Right? Which is, by the way, as I mentioned at the top, the purpose of Ascension Day. Jesus said he had to go so that he could send the spirit and we could all partake in his, in his presence. So Jesus is about to demonstrate his grace and his mercy. He's about to show that despite what the culture of Israel thought, that, that this woman losing her son, this was not God's punishment for her doing something wrong, which is what, what they would have been telling her. That Jesus is, is using every moment to shape, uh, to, to shape faith. You have unique influence in your life. You have, you have a unique circle of people that you can reach. Yours is different than mine, is different than, than Anthony, is different than Lars, different than, than anyone else that you see around you. And that's what, that's what Jesus is compelling you to, is to step out in your circle of influence. So we see that two worlds are about to collide here in this next verse. We've got Jesus and we've got his crowd of people. And you can imagine, after they get over the grumbling and the inconvenience of going to Nain, there's still astonishment, right? They're following a guy who's healing people, he's feeding people, he's, he's proclaiming the truth of God, he's accepting people that no one else will. So there is wonder, there is astonishment, there is hope, something new. God is doing something new and unique and different. That's why everybody's following him around. That's why people are taking the 20-mile walk out to Nain with him. I mean, if I asked all of you, hey, who wants to after church walk to New Smyrna Beach with me? I'm pretty sure none of you are going to go, okay? Because I'm not Jesus, okay? There's a great admission for everybody today, just in case you, just in case you were fooled by, the, by the, the great getup I got going on. That's why people are walking with him all these miles. But what they're going to see in just a moment is they're going to see another group of people mirroring them, walking toward them. And in this group of people, there's grief and there's, there's wailing and there's confusion and, and there's fear. There's all the emotions that you would, you would see at your typical uh, funeral. In verse 12, it says, As he, as Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother... And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, the picture I want to paint for you here is that this, this woman, as they're carrying her son, 
who I'm assuming is is grown because the, the the passage says he, he he's a, he's a man he's not a boy. She is now out of hope. First, her husband was was dead. Okay, so uh, whatever income, whatever land they had that was his, uh, now goes to the son. And it's the son's job to take care of, uh, of mom. I mean, we're thinking, thinking a couple thousand years ago, there's not, there's not food stamps, there's not social security, there's not any sort of intervention other than what the community is going to provide. So her life now is going to be dependent on charity, and it's, it's going to be dependent on her, her begging. And so I'm sure in her mind, because she's being told, your son died because of some sin in your life, I'm sure there's bewilderment and confusion and questioning, like, God, Why? You know, what did I do? You've taken everything away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless now. And so this woman, beyond her grief for her son, there's the hopelessness of her new situation. And she has been conformed to this world's standard. And, and I think in general, it, it, is, it is tough in our culture now uh, to be a woman. Right. Speaking of mothers, if you're a stay at if you've made the choice to stay at home, then there's this message that's given to you that, oh, you've you've sold out feminism. You're not producing or you're not pulling your weight. And so you battle that that pressure, that anxiety of am I really doing what's right? And on the other hand, if you're if you're a woman and you're a mom and you choose to work. Then now you're, you're getting the message that you're selling out your husband. You're selling out your kids. Somebody else is raising them. And you've got, you've got that pull and that tug. Women are in a no-win situation as far as the expectations of our culture. And as I said, being a mother, there, there, there's got to be nothing like it. You're bringing life into this world. But I also think that this is, this is another example of how we all... All of us as human beings, we take the good things of God and we make them ultimate things and we allow them to, to define us. I have a friend. Uh, she, and I would not be here without this friend. She's a, she's a great counselor. She, she talked me through a low point in my life. She, she helped me understand who I, I was in Christ. But she, she couldn't have a baby. And, and I know right now she's, she's at home. Because she, she doesn't want to step foot outside because this, this hurts her so much at, at her core. And, and, I, and I understand that. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything, uh, I'm not judging her for that. But I will say that it's an example of how, how we get messages pressed upon us that we allow to define us. You're not defined as a woman if you don't have a child. Just like you're not defined as a woman by how many children you do have. My wife and I were only able to have one miracle baby. Okay, I don't, I, we weren't even supposed to have the one. But it's funny when we tell people how many ch children we have, we've got one. We get this look of, oh, you've got it easy, right? You know, we've only got one to chase around. Unlike if you have two and you're playing one on one, and and you got three and you're playing zone defense now, and and all of that. So yeah, I, I guess we do have it a little easier in that way. But, but I understand this little offhand comment. You see, how, you see how it gets pressed upon us that this thing is going to define, define you. You were only able to have one. 
You're not defined by how many children you have. You're not, you're not defined by how your kids turn out. Right? They have their own salvation that they, they need to, to work out. Okay, good. I, I thought I said something wrong and you were going to kick me off the stage and I was never going to be invited back. So yes, there you go. I'm going to repeat that point then. You're not defined by how, how, how your kids turn out. <laughs> Just as your children, we're all children of somebody. You're not defined by how your mom raised you, nor are you defined by how your dad raised you. Hey, we all, we all have brokenness that we have to bear. That's part of, part of the cross that we have as we follow Christ. But beyond, beyond, beyond motherhood, you're not defined by your marital status. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your role. You're not defined by your income level. All of these things that we allow to conform us and, and we, try, we try to present an image, none of these things define us. Here's the one thing. This is the one thing that defines you. You are defined by Christ's love for you. You are defined by the grace that was on display as he was born into this world and, and died on the cross and was, and was raised to life. That is the one thing that defines you. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12. This is verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's, that's the temptation. This world presses into us, and we want to we conform to the mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, and, and what is the renewing of your mind that has to happen? You have to live in being defined by Christ's love for you, to accept that, to putting that on like a coat and taking off all the ways that, that we want to conform. Think about the people that Jesus, this crowd that was following Jesus around. Think about what, what composed this crowd of people. There were marginalized people. Every, everybody on the fringes. We've got, we've got the sick that he's going to, going to heal that are, that are trying to grab out and touch his cloak just to, just to get a sense uh, 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 of healing. You've got the poor. You've got the, the, the other outcasts. You've got tax collectors who were hated in, in the culture. You've got, you've got sinners, people that the, the, the religious leaders wouldn't even go near. And you've got women. And Jesus validated women in a culture that did not. He saw them as people. He had conversations with them when men and women weren't supposed to have conversations out in the, in the height of the day by a well. He allowed them to touch him so that they could, they could, get, they could get healing. Jesus treated women different than, than anybody else did. Because women, just like men, were made in the image of God. His explicit purpose was not to change circumstances, okay? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes he does. There's miracles. But that's not, that's not the explicit reason he came. That's a result of his compassion when circumstances are changed. He came to transform how, how these marginalized people, how you and I who have been conformed and pressed against by the world, how, how we think about God and how how we saw our value in his image. 
I mean, think about this woman now. She's going from, from believing that God has punished her by the death of her son to experiencing something new that we're going to, we're going to talk about in, in just a minute. And that's why, this is why it's hard, and we're told in the Bible that it's hard for, 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 for rich people or for, for famous people or for people to have power to, to follow Christ. Because they're already confident of their worth in something else. And to give that up is tough. And that's why at the beginning of Matthew 5, when, when, we, uh, when, when we look at the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn like this woman that we're, that we're talking about. Blessed are, blessed are you when people insult you because your pride is being stripped away and you are creating an opening for God to step into. Christ's love transforms. The, the interesting thing about that passage in, in Romans 12 that we just that read is that, that being conf, uh, when we are conformed, that's, that's us. That's when we're active. We try to conform ourselves to the standards of the world and what's going on. But when Paul writes, be transformed, that's done to us. God does that. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he, he is the one that promises to make things grow. And so question I have for you today is, are you conforming or transforming? Which one are you doing? Because you're either doing one or the other. You're either conforming to the world's expectations of you in some, in some capacity, or you are allowing the love of Christ, letting that be the one thing that defines you, you're being transformed by that. How do we know that Christ loved us? There's only one way, and that's Jesus came. Right? That, that's how we know God's love for, for the people that he created, which is all of us, is that Jesus came when he didn't have to. When God took the initiative and sent his son to walk among us, knowing what was going to happen, knowing what had to happen if we were going to have our relationship made right with him. Paul again writes in Romans, this is earlier, Romans chapter 5, he said, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were disconnected from him, while we had no thought of God on our mind, he sent his son for us. That's, that's the only truth you have to live by. If you can master that one thing, then you are, you are very well off indeed. And so, going to our next verse in, in, in Luke, see that, the large crowds following Jesus, the large crowds following the woman, they're approaching each other. And here's what happens. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. By the way, if next funeral you're at, don't tell somebody not to cry. Only if, only if you're Jesus, only if you can raise somebody from the dead, are you allowed to say that at a funeral? Just give somebody a hug, tell them you love them. That's, that's, uh, that's all you need to do. He said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And so we see, out of Jesus' love, his compassion. This is the same compassion he has for you. The same compassion he has for me. He, he, he came and he looked at the people scurrying about and trying to, trying to create their own significance. And he looked at them like sheep without a shepherd. Everyone going their own way, but really not going anywhere at all. 
Compassion is walking through someone's pain with them. And because Jesus loved us, he, he walks through our pain with us. He stepped into to our experience. And Jesus is doing this right here. He went out of his way to go to Nain. But don't miss this. He touched the buyer. Okay? It's probably a stretcher with the body wrapped up with some spices and they're carrying it. If you've watched the news, it probably looks similar to what you see on Middle Eastern coverage of funerals. That, that is what's being carried. He went up and touched that. Now, that is against the law. It is against the law to touch a body, particularly for, uh, for a rabbi, for a teacher, for a spiritual leader, to go touch a dead body and be unclean and have to ceremonially wash for seven days. I mean, this is, this is literally Jesus getting his hands dirty to be part uh, of this woman, woman's life. Totally against convention. That was probably shocking to the people that were, were following Jesus around and also the people in the funeral. But that, that's exactly what Jesus did when he left heaven. Right? He's walking in our brokenness. All around him is, is, is unclean. And he came... And he, he came on our account. So how are you expressing compassion in your life as you look around? Whose experience are you stepping into? Who, who, for who are you getting your hands dirty? For who are you, are, are you going against convention and, 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 and ministering to somebody that maybe no one else will? I mean, part of this is how God's equipped you through your circumstance. How, who is it that God has uniquely made you to be able to, to minister to? If you're a parent, again, it's Mother's Day. How have you demonstrated compassion for your kids? Right, you know what it's like to grow up. Even more so with, with all the extra technology and temptation and, and, and dangers that, that our kids go through. Like how, how have you demonstrated compassion for what it's like to grow up in, in this messed up world? Or, or are you only concerned with results? Be a good kid, okay? Be a good kid so you're 18, then we're good. Do whatever you want. Same thing for, for kids. And again, all of us are somebody's child. Do you have compassion on your parents for, for what they brought into uh, being a parent? I mean, one of the most eye-opening things I had in my life was, was, was as I'm, I'm beginning to understand identity and following Christ, I, I went to my dad and said, Dad, I wish we had a, a, a deeper relationship. I wish we talked about more than just sports. And he looked at me and he said, I do too, but I don't know how. My dad and I never talked. That was the first time that I ever thought about what my dad brought into our relationship. I ne had never had compassion on that before to understand that this was a, a two-way street of both of us trying to figure out how, how to do this thing. Who is it that, whose experience you are, are, are stepping into? So finishing up our, our passage here, the dead man sat up. I mean, I, I would love to see that. I just have to be honest with you. That'd be fantastic if we could just do that right here today, but we can't. So uh, the dead man sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And then they were all, everyone was filled with awe. 
and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Notice, everyone here is filled with awe. No longer do we have a division in the crowd. No longer do we have the ones that are following Jesus and they're, they're, they're astonished and, and loving every minute of it. And no longer do we have the people that are grieving and, and confused. Now everybody is looking at Jesus. He's the center. He's the focus. And they're filled with awe at what just happened. And the woman, she gets her, her son back. But she got so much more, more than this. Because now she knows the son is not her source of hope. Despite the fact that he can, he can own the land and despite the fact that he can earn income, he is not her hope. This, this dude that just walked up and touched the buyer and, and spoke to him and made him come back to life, there's hope. Right? There, there is the one who can bring life into, into this, this dead world. The point was not her income. The point for Jesus was her identity. What, what brings you value? Why are you here? Well, you're here because God made you and you're here because God loved you, loves you. In Romans chapter eight, I'm on a very Paul theme today. He writes, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, just as an aside, this is another verse. Don't use this at a funeral either. So two points of teaching. Don't say don't cry and don't say God's working this for your good because that's not what somebody wants to hear uh, when they've just lost a loved one. But it is true, right? But let's not misuse this verse. I think sometimes we get a mindset that God works all things for, for, for my good. So that means that eventually all my circumstances are going to work out and life is going to be clean and easy. My car breaks down. Well, God works all things for the good of those who love him. So uh, a path to a new car is coming. Not necessarily. I want to have a baby when God works all things for the good of those who love him. So that's going to happen. Well, maybe not necessarily. There, there, is, there is one good that God cares about. Okay, there's one thing that God, there's one gift God has to give you. And it's, it's everything that he has to give. The, God, the good God works for you is that, that you live for his son. That, that is the good and whatever circumstance has to happen in your life to, to strip away all the things that you're trying to conform to, he's going to do that because he loves you. Because he wants you to live for his son. And it gets talked about. The word spreads throughout all of Judea about what Jesus has done and that God has come to be among his people. Does it mean that everybody in this crowd became a follower? Just like it means that if, as you're living as a Christian, everyone around you isn't going isn't to become a follower. But, but there are people in that crowd whose lives were changed forever. All of them had to confront the truth of who Jesus, Jesus was. All of us get the chance to leave a legacy in our lives for, for Jesus. Remember, God is the one that is responsible for making things grow, but we're responsible for planting seed and watering it and being faithful in doing that. Where do you bring life? As you look around your world, where are you bringing life? How are people talking about Jesus in your life? Please pray with me.
God, thank you so much that you know our needs before we do. Thank you so much for the the compassion you have that despite our temptation to go our own way, you have have compassion on us because you love us. And so God, I just pray for each and every one of us today that as we leave here, we'll we'll take a moment to look at what how we're conformed, what we're conforming to, and that we will we will allow ourselves to be transformed by your love for us. The love that is the, the best gift that 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 we could get because it's gonna go on forever. So God, thank you for this story of uh, the raising of the widow's son. Thank you for for Jesus and, and his miraculous life. And we thank you that we get to live in his name. Amen.